0: Elizabeth Shaw was an Irish artist and illustrator with an extraordinary 20th century life story. Born in Belfast in 1920, Shaw spent most of her adult life living in communist East Germany. She worked as a caricaturist for Neues Deutschland or New Germany, the newspaper of the ruling Socialist Unity Party. She's best known, though, as an author of books for children. Generations of German children have enjoyed the picture books she wrote and illustrated and which remain in print to this day. But Elizabeth Shaw remains virtually unknown here in Ireland. I'm joined by two guests who have researched Shaw's life and work. Dr. Sabine Egger is a lecturer in German studies at Mary Immaculate College in Limerick, And I'm also joined by Dr. Fergal Lenehan, who's based at the University of Jena in Germany. You're both very welcome indeed to the programme. Sabine, um, tell us how you first became familiar with uh, Shaw's work when you were growing up in the the 1970s through something called The Timid Rabbit.
1: (laughs) Yes, it's um, I mean, I actually uh, grew up in the west of Germany in the Rhineland, but um, we had relatives in East Germany. My mother was from there originally and an aunt used to send me children's books as a child. And one of these books was um, Der kleine Angsthase, or The Timid Rabbit, which was published in 1963. And I quite liked it as a picture book as a small child in the early 70s, because it was, you know, the story of a timid, chubby rabbit who overcomes his fear when saving his little friend, being eaten by a fox. So a quite simple moral story, but told with a bit of a sense of humor And also the illustrations were unusual, clear strokes, bright colors, like almost like cartoons. So I quite liked this. And at the same time, these books had a bit of an exotic flavor because we received parcels from East Germany on a regular basis from relatives there. And because they couldn't send so many other consumer goods as we did in our parcels to them, it was very often books, drawings, things like this. So quite a lot of my children's books were actually East German children's books.
0: Now, as a child, you probably didn't pay too much attention to the author's name. Elizabeth Shaw wouldn't necessarily have meant anything to you or wouldn't appear appeared particularly Irish. But you learned more about her later in life when you came across uh, her, her autobiography called Irish Berlin.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I wasn't aware of, I didn't pay attention to her name at all or that she was um, an Irish author and it was much later when I started working in Ireland um, at the University of Limerick at the time in the late 90s. And at the time, um had an interest, research interest in GDR literature, but I had done my MA in Northern Irish Poetry. So I was looking for ways of maybe connecting the two. And at the Centre for Irish-German Studies in UL, was thinking about doing something in this area of Irish-German relations in literature maybe, and then came across when I was in Berlin, This book by this Irish author, Elizabeth Shaw, leafed through it and saw that she was actually the author of this book that I remembered from my childhood and was quite surprised and then became curious about her background story and how come she ended up in Berlin and started doing research, Um, used it in my lectures to some extent, Um, started also lecturing then in children's literature and decided it's quite quite a fascinating topic, um, it, particularly when, when I realised that she was not really well known in Ireland, that her books hadn't really published in Ireland.
0: Uh, it is an absolutely fascinating story. She was born in Belfast in 1920. She was the daughter of, of a bank manager. Tell us a little bit about her early life and when she
1: left Ireland first. Yeah, I mean, she was born in 1920. Her father was from Sligo originally, but had moved to Belfast to take over um, the management of one branch of the Ulster Bank in York Street in Belfast. So she grew up in this area, which was, you know, quite a working class area. There was a tobacco factory opposite. They lived in this building on top of the bank, middle class background, Church of Ireland background, but kind of witnessing quite a lot of poverty around them she describes this in her autobiography as being in this fortress of this house the back windows were barred because of whatever poverty and violence at the time that she's from quite privileged background also becomes quite clear when she writes about her parents saying oh you can you know you shouldn't play outside in the streets with these children you might catch lice or other diseases um, at the same time it seems to have been quite a liberal maybe slightly left wing household liberal church of ireland with you know a belief in education and liberal open mindedness i mean she recounts an anecdote that the family came under pressure to some extent from neighbours or people they knew because they employed a catholic maid in the house um, so they weren't involved in sectarian conflicts they were rather from an outsider perspective but at the same time were also affected by this and aware of this to some extent but she and her Siblings led a privileged lifestyle. Mm.
0: And I think then her father retired when she was uh, in er, her early teens. And there was some talk of them possibly moving to Dublin, but ultimately they moved to, to Bedford in, in England. And then later on, when she finishes uh, her secondary education, she studies at the Chelsea School of Arts in London. Is that where she becomes a committed communist?
1: Yeah, that's during that time. I mean, they moved to Bedford and she, in her autobiography, describes this as quite provincial, but she has an interest in art and a talent for art. So she moves there and enrolls in this art school. And of course, this is in the late 1930s. You have an international exile community there. Fascism, you know, onset of the Second World War. So she's kind of um, introduced in left-wing artist circles, there are communist circles, meets one fellow student, Patrick Carpenter, who comes from a working-class background in Chelsea, who is kind of a communist and they have a relationship. She develops an interest both from an intellectual point of view, but also through her personal contacts. I mean, when you read her autobiography, this sounds through to some extent. And this increasing feeling amongst these young artists of um, having to take sides, that this kind of quite liberal, removed perspective um, is not enough. You have to be engaged, you know, outbreak of the Spanish Civil War, all this as a context, so to take sides. And uh, she becomes quite interested in communism, um, reads the Communist Manifesto. They watch Sean O'Casey's play, The Star Turns Red, which is first stage um, at the London Unity Theatre in nineteen forty. So she develops an interest in this um, and becomes involved and then also meets as one of these left wing young artists, her later husband, uh, René Gretz, who is um, originally has a Swiss background, but um, also lives in London and is involved in this art scene at the time.
0: And what brings her to Berlin after the war?
1: Well, like she and René, I mean, they get married in 1944. And in 1946, they moved from London to East Berlin. And not that unusual again in these circles of a lot of um, quite idealistic, you know, young socialists. You have a lot of artists, German artists also who are in exile in London and elsewhere, who then move back and believe they can participate in building this better Germany, an anti-fascist state, something new. I mean, like, of course, you have much better known names like Bertolt Brecht, Anna Segers, a lot of these communist artists going back and seeing their role as artists, as taking a stance and helping to rebuild a better Germany after this war. So she's part of this kind of thinking. And also then with her husband, they moved to East Berlin in 1946, and quite immediately are integrated into the art scene there, so are able to travel to international exhibitions in the late 40s already. She gets some freelance work for media, doing caricatures, drawings, and therefore um, become involved quite early on.
2: Mm.
0: And now, Fergus, obviously... Uh, Sabine's introduction to Elizabeth Shaw comes from a work of children's fiction. Uh, your introduction, entirely different. You've researched the, the propaganda caricatures that she made for Neues Deutschland or New Germany, a newspaper which was the main party organ of the communist regime. So very, very far from Timid Rabbits. Tell us, tell us about her caricatures.
2: Yes, I suppose I'm more interested in the darker side of Elizabeth Shaw, but I must say I got to know her as well via my children here in Germany because we had some of our books as well. Elizabeth Shaw worked as a caricaturist for Neues Deutschland from 1950 to 1957 and produced r- very regular um, caricatures which were linked to different articles. Ones which were general illustrations, The caricatures are generally satirical and sort of point fun at some sort of political figure or something like that, Uh, and these were sort of lightly, maybe lightly satirical, or were linked to articles which were not really political or not explicitly political. Then there's a whole series of caricatures that she produced, which are basically anti-US, anti-American, and anti-West German, and which depict the United States and the West German state basically as the new Nazis and the communists, and as war mongers, and that sort of thing. So, for example, there was one caricature, a relatively early one, that she produced from the 28th of February, 1950, which is linked to an article called The USA, The New Home of Fascism, Okay, which is about the movement of Adolf Hitler's house from Braunau in Austria to the United States. And in the caricature, Shaw has, has produced an image of Adolf Hitler with his right arm up. In a ship sailing into Manhattan, and in Manhattan, he's greeted by a man dressed with the cowboy hat. There's a man dressed with the Ku Klux Klan type figure with, with sort of a pointy hat. And there's another sort of, I suppose, capitalist looking type figure with the stars and stripes. And this is, of course, this is very, very normal type of caricature for East Germany at the time. But I suppose the the only thing that's different about it is that you have the name of a Belfast woman sort of underneath them.
0: Fergal, when I I have to admit that I had never heard of Elizabeth show up to a couple of days ago, in common with with most people in Ireland, but the first thing that occurred to me, the first question I asked when I was introduced to Elizabeth Shaw was, did she have a Stasi file? The Stasi being the secret police in East Germany who were incredibly interventionist and almost everybody in Germany seems to have had a Stasi file uh, or either that or they were spying for the Stasi one or the other. Did she have a Stasi file? Were they, were they looking out for her?
2: Yes, she did indeed have a Stasi file. That was something that I was also sort of interested in. And I did presume that they would have kept quite a close eye on her, not least because, I mean, she travelled regularly. She was a British passport holder and she travelled regularly to Britain and to the West and, and to the United States. And I was able to get access to her Stasi file because she was a public figure. It is interesting. It's quite thin. Okay, there's there's not more than 20 pages in it. And the most substantial part of it is a report written from 1966, which is basically an investigation of her position, and the first thing that I that the first thing that I noticed about it was the, the basic sort of factual errors that it contained. So for example, they say that that she was born in Bedford in Ireland. And obviously Bedford is in Bedfordshire in, in Britain. And they even misspelled the word Ireland. So it's obviously it's spelled with one or in, in German, Ireland, and it's spelled with, with two ors. And the the report is interesting, but it it is basically compiled by the Stasi officials talking with her neighbours, and they basically come to the conclusion that that Elizabeth Shaw is is politically dependable and is a dedicated communist and dedicated to the ideals of the SED, the East German Communist Party, as is her husband. And they detail, for example, they detail how how wealthy the family is, that they have a six room apartment in Berlin, which is still very good for Berlin, that they own a car and that they travel regularly. So, for example, they talk about the family or about Elizabeth Shaw, at least anyway, going to Britain four times between 1961 and 1966 and traveling to Bulgaria twice on holidays and to the Czechoslovakia with work and to Romania on holidays as well. And, And it concludes really in a positive manner. There's also a report on her husband, René Kreitz, from 1970. It is again very, very positive in relation to Elizabeth Shaw. They say that she's politically dependable and that she's dedicated to the ideals of the East German Communist Party. But now, whereas in the earlier reports they had said that that her husband was also dependable, now they are of the belief that he is actually no longer dependable, that he is against East German cultural politics, largely for aesthetic reasons, and that he's in favour of Westernisation. And they even even cite a comment that he made in a private conversation from 1963 with somebody who would have been um, an unofficial Mitarbeiter, an unofficial informant for, for the Stasi. And in 1963, he had said to this person that he couldn't express outwardly his real beliefs about the East German state, basically. And it's also interesting because 1970 also marks a change in the style of, of his sculpture. Until that, he engaged in more of a, a socialist realist type of idiom. And from then on, from 1970 to 1974, he, he changes, actually, changes tact and develops sculptures which are a lot more abstract. And the report on René Kratz ends sort of quite chillingly because they talk about people nearby who, who they view as being dependable and possibly sort of who they could engage to sort of look at the family more closely. The report is it ends with, with the suggestion of a space that could be used for a possible closer observation. And what is interesting is, of course, that a closer observation doesn't seem to have happened because René Kratz died in 1974 from a heart attack. But at this stage, he was definitely seen as mm. as not being sort of conformist in right. relation to the norms of, of the GDR.
0: Sabine, she must have travelled to, and as did her husband, to East Germany with some sense of of, of hope. Uh, how did she face then the, the inconvenient truth of Stalinism?
1: Yeah, it's a quiet... Ambivalent picture, if, if you again look at her autobiography, she writes at some point, Oh, we were all great admirers of Stalin and convinced that everything that came from Moscow could only be good, even if it was sometimes a little confusing. What we didn't realize then, even later, was the danger around us, the terror of Stalinism, which by America we survived. That's how she expresses it. It seems that they became both, she and her husband, increasingly disillusioned with the regime in the course of the 1950s. Also, if you think about the workers' uprising in, in 1953 and her husband, who did initially also do some more abstract work, actually being put you know, in a formalist corner by the regime, not kind of adhering to socialist realism in the 50s. And he wasn't really exhibited for a few years in the 50s. It changed then and later in the 60s again. So in a sense, they both, um, to some extent, also through their wider circle of friends in the art scene, felt somewhat limited. And this kind of, again, comes through when she writes about the building of the wall. She writes um, also somewhat critical, but it's never very obvious criticism or very open criticism. On the one hand, as Fergus said, they were privileged both of them and she in particular with regard to being able to travel so not being affected directly like other east germans were from um, these these restrictive policies which probably had something also to do with her attitude i mean even at the end like after the fall of the wall i mean she dies in 1992 she publishes or her autobiography is published in 1990 And she kind of ends this, in a sense, with the statement, well, you might ask, or I might ask myself, why did we stay? Why didn't we go? And she doesn't even give a clear answer to that. It seems to be this in-between. And I think that throughout, she basically seems to have believed in the idea of communism and socialism, have seen aspects of the East German government as also negative, restrictive. For example, she criticizes an artist friend at some point, but that's also in the late 1950s, about not having supported Ernst Janka, who was the chief editor of the Aufbau Verlag, one of the main book publishing companies in East Germany, who is um, removed from his post because of a somewhat critical attitude. And then another friend, Udo Use, not really standing up for him. So she mentioned this as a criticism, but at the same time doesn't really go in opposition. And that is something that kind of is felt throughout the book, that she seems to have been overall quite comfortably integrated into this somewhat privileged life as an artist in East Germany. She had her income. She was able to do the work. Also, when she moved on to illustrating and writing children's books from the 60s onwards, winning awards for these, being able to travel and not... Yeah, affected too much or to an extent because, of course, you had other um, initially quite enthusiastic supporters of the regime that in the 70s then became quite critical and openly critical. If you think of the Wolf-Biermann affair and left East Germany writers and this didn't happen with her. And it's a little bit difficult to say, okay, was this because of her obviously ongoing basic support of or belief in communism as something good? Or also with regard to being integrated in this, what she also felt was an artist community in East Berlin and living a a kind of life that she basically agreed with.
0: Fergal, I'm also intrigued by the title of her memoir, which doesn't come out until the late 1980s. And it's called Irish Berlin. Uh, This is somebody who was a Belfast Protestant, moved to England at the age of 13, spends the next 13 years of her life living in England and then migrates to Germany. Why does she think of herself as Irish rather than British?
2: That's a good question and an interesting question. And I think I think she does as well. I think she does have a complex identity with, with strong elements of Britishness and Berlinness and, and communism. But, but Irishness is very, very important to her. If you take her memoir at face value, at least anyway, i mean memoir is sort of a textual recreation of the self i would wonder if her embrace of irishness at that period is also a type of distancing from from the regime to be honest because it is as you say it is the late 1980s she is conscious that changes are coming and she in her memoir at least anyway she says that she is in favor of these changes. And I I would wonder if this is also a type of of distancing, a type of defensive mechanism, actually, to to be honest. It is interesting. Um, Sabina mentioned there about Wolf Biermann. There is a letter actually from her in the archives, in the Stasi archives, in support of Wolf Biermann, which is, is something that I think has been been ignored until now. But it would also suggest that there is some kind of reflection taking place at the same time that she mm-hmm. is critical if maybe this criticism isn't really expressed very openly.
0: Sabine, do you have any, uh, in conclusion, any take on her Irishness as opposed to her Britishness?
1: I would agree with Fergo with regard to that she, you know, had strong connections also to Britain, to friends there, to London when she kind of, you know, travelled. She, she also visited London quite often. But it seems also that in her later years when she did then travel to Ireland, like in the 1980s particularly, and she traveled around Ireland, she was quite taken by, which seemed to also have been um, memories of her childhood, of traveling to Ireland, to the the south of Ireland from the north on holidays um, by the sea, and that this was something that she quite, you know, felt attached to um, in a way. I mean, obviously she also had strong memories of her childhood not just in Belfast but outside of Belfast with her relatives of her mother in a farming area which she liked very much but this sense of Irishness kind of in a sense comes through with this kind of connection to the landscape and the culture in her and it might also be something related to her stage in life getting older kind of you know this maybe slight sense of nostalgia or reviving childhood memories yeah
0: Well, we've been talking about the life and work of Elizabeth Shaw, the author and illustrator of The Timid Rabbit. And as we've heard a lot more besides my guests are uh, Dr. Sabine Egger and Dr. Fergal Lenehan. Thank you both very much indeed for joining us on the programme this evening.
1: Thank you. Thank you, Malfe.